Good morning, Steve. Good Hines. morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? Well, could be better. Um, I mean, the news from France is just so shocking. This this uh, assassination of journalists from Charlie Hebdo. I mean, you know, uh, I, I got an email overnight from someone saying, you know, this you, you journalists must be really shocked about this, and I, I shot one back saying, well, yes, of course. But it's it it's not just something that journalists are shocked yeah, we don't, about. You don't claim ownership of this. Yes, do you? absolutely not. You know this 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 great thing that's happening in France, where all these people are are, are, are going around with banners saying "Je suis Charlie Hebdo." You know, I mean this this act of solidarity with the journalists, because of course when you start assassinating journalists, you are assassinating absolutely basic fundamental freedom of expression in a society. I mean, journalists are just the messengers. They certainly aren't the, the, the possessors of that freedom. And it does remind us that we're in dangerous territory. I mean, you look here in Hong Kong still, we still don't know who was behind the potentially lethal attack against Kevin Lau, the former editor of the Hong Kong... But we Kong don't. E we, we don't. Um, somebody does. Yeah. The, the former editor of the Hong Kong Economic Journal. Um, you, you, you think across the border of somebody like Gao Yu, who's... Um, very well-known uh, journalist who I think is at the moment embarking on an eight-year jail sentence on the most amazingly trumped-up of charges. You think of the three Al Jazeera journalists in, in Egypt who are still in jail, uh, allegedly and unbelievably, for aiding and abetting the Muslim Brotherhood when they were doing their job of reporting. So, you know, this idea that you can somehow stamp out freedom of expression by imprisoning and in France by, by assassinating journalists. You know, was this a magazine that was right up on the edge? You betcha. It was. It offended, I'm quite sure it offended Muslims, I'm quite sure it offended the president who... Oh, it went for everybody. It went, went goes for, everybody. for everybody. It goes for everybody. And, and there's people on the left in France, it's known as a leftist magazine, but there's many people on the left who feel that Charlie Hebdo goes far too far in um, you know, in in mocking politicians from that side of the spectrum. Mm. In other words, it's doing its job. It's a satirical magazine, and you know, a society that can't tolerate satire is a society in enormous difficulty. You know, apart from the immediate feeling of oh my god, when you find out what's been happening, one of the second thoughts is going to be: I think it could really kick off in France because you know they're quite hard line already about sort of uh, you know Muslim ways of life, etc., women wearing burqas, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's banned now in France. And that's so what I mean. Gets, so I reckon, yeah. I reckon, I'm wondering if this is going to really sort of create a backlash, the, the, the gratuitous backlash. Well, I mean, this is always the trouble. I mean, you know, the overwhelming majority, and there is a large number of Muslims in France, the overwhelming majority of that community, of course, are not jihadis. You know, they no, are, I know that. They, no, no, I know, but my, my point is, but they will be the people who'll get the backlash. Yeah. The people who are not part of this bunch of lunatics. I say lunatics, I mean, that so somehow ex excuses them. I, I believe this was a calculated act, so it, it looks like an act of lunacy, but it's an act of malice. Well, from what And, you know, if you're going to do that to your own community, yeah. let, let alone what you do to the rest of the world, that's a terrible thing. I know the leaders of... Um, the, the Islamic leaders in France have come out and condemned this. Uh, I would hope they would do that, and they have done that. But that, you, what you say about a backlash, I think, is almost certainly true. 
we see kind of quite a lot of that stuff in France. It's just very interesting. You know, the other thing that's floating around in the stories is uh, perfect French accents. Well, these nutters that apparently were cutting off people's heads, the ISIL videos and stuff, mm. very broad English accents. So yes. I don't think that really kicks in. Yes. And, and you, you know, in, um, in, in France and in other countries with these large uh, Muslim communities... There is a, a, a sense of unease and in, in battlement. I mean, you, you remember what happened after the um, bombing of that cafe in Australia. Mm. There was an extraordinary response from the community where people were saying, you know, if, if you're somebody wearing a burqa or, or you're, you're obviously a Muslim, we'll go home on the bus with you to make sure that, um, you know, you're not attacked in, in, in the backlash against that kind of atrocity. What did you think about all that? Because you could... They've been criticised as sort of being do-good Aussies, but you can't win in a situation like no, this, I can you? I think they did a very wonderful thing. Yeah. I mean, I, because you can't demonise a whole community because of the actions of, unfortunately, what seems to be an increasingly large minority, but let's not forget that they are a minority. And um, what they're doing is... I, I mean, every single level is bad. But if they think they're doing something to enhance the status of Islam in the world, boy, have they got that wrong. I mean, so big time, it's impossible to quantify it. doesn't strike that that is even <coughs> cared about. Well, I think that's the problem, is that they are, they are absolutely encapsulated in their own fanatical world. The, the outside world just doesn't impinge on their consciousness. You may say, how can that be? But this is, this is what happens with sect behaviour is that the only thing that, that matters is within that enclosed world, and within that enclosed world, they're going to some greater glory. Well, yeah, that's their view. That I, mean, I don't understand, but that's for a whole other yeah, uh, day of is, broadcasting. Is, yeah. I said this morning in my notes, you know, despite the immediate appallingness of this, the implications for journalists the world over are huge and growing. I didn't mean just journalists, but yes. for the press. I mean, is this a really another nail? In, in well, I mean, as I say, if, if it was only in France where this was a problem, you'd say, boy, those French have always been a bit peculiar. Um, you know, maybe maybe it is. But it really isn't. It's become a more dangerous piece of territory to be on in the world. As I say, even here in Hong Kong, this is true. You, as I say, we've had this attack on Kevin Lau. There was, in fact, in fa there was, in fact, an attack on two other journalists who worked on this start-up paper that I notice hasn't started up. Mm. So, you know, the idea that, that journalists are somehow... Um, you know, easy targets. Well, I suppose they are easy targets because, of course, you know, we don't go around with protection. I mean, you know, um, we're just one up from scum, frankly. <laughs> so, on a good day. On a good day, yes. Yeah. So, you know, so it is an easy target. So if, if you are some thug who wants to, uh, in, in the case of Kevin Lau, presumably say something about the pro-democracy stance that the Hong Kong Economic Journal has taken, for a long time, particularly under under Kevin's leadership, um, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Why not? Why not attack at the at the most vulnerable point? Because of course, the other thing about journalists is you ain't worth your salt if you don't get out and about. Yeah. I mean, here we are in a nice warm studio with the full resources of RTHK around us and a heater and a heater. <laughs> 
<laughs> government-supplied heater under the basic law, yeah. and so we're all happy. But but generally speaking, the whole point about journalism is you've got to go out and do it, and you've got to be visible, and it makes you a target. Interesting, looking at various events around the world, even this year, which is but young, the one weapon that's stronger than knives and guns and anything seems to be ridicule. They don't like to be laughed at. Isn't that isn't that isn't that the case? I mean, it, it, it's. It's it's perfectly true of dictatorships. I mean, is is satire alive and living across the border? No prizes for answering that question. Um, what was one of the first thing that the Nazis cracked down upon? Was in fact publications because you know particularly in berlin there was a very thriving satirical community in in the pre-nazi days well those people were carted off very early on in the piece and what these people can't stand is mockery that's what i mean it's a really powerful you know to say that they don't have a sense of humor just you know devalues the language but but they've got a visceral hatred of mockery because guess what they're so easy to mock. But one of the most natural human things to do is to smile and laugh and giggle about something. That's just programmed into us. That, it turns out, is stronger than any of the things that are man-made. Well, let, let me give you an example of, of, um, of which, is, which comes from Britain, which I happen to know having been born there. Is, you know in Britain there's a lot of mockery and a lot of laughter about the royal family. Yeah, for sure. You, 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 you know, the Spitting Image was a very famous TV programme, had very f- famous characters of the Queen and, um, you, you know... Prince Duke Charles. Edinburgh and Prince Charles and all the rest of them. So you may say, ah, oh, in Britain, people have no respect for the monarchy. It doesn't work like that. It's different. People, <laughs> people no, I think the fact that you have the liberty to mock them and make fun of them actually strengthens the institution. It doesn't weaken it. And people say, you know, thank goodness I live in a country where we can do this. And I think it makes society stronger. And which is why non-democratic societies find this so difficult to cope with, because freedom of expression is anathema. And, and satire, I suppose you could say, is the, you know, is the l- largest extent of freedom of expression which is why satirists get into trouble. You often think the cartoonists are the most powerful journalists in a paper yeah. because they can hide something in a couple of lines that you have to look twice for. We even see it here, don't we? Can, can I mention, in, incidentally, in this, there is an absolutely brilliant cartoon in the South China Morning Post today by Harry. I, I, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I think people should look at it, but it sums up this very point... Very eloquently. I mean, he's a great cartoonist, I, I must say. It's almost worth buying the paper just to look at his cartoons. Um, uh, anyway, but look at this one. It's a, great, it's a great summary of what happened overnight. They've got a history of being able to just slide something in under the carpet that the bosses won't notice. Yes. I mean, whether, whether I'm right or wrong, that's what I reckon when I read some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Powerful and, stuff, And, and huh? you... I, I mean, the skill of a, a, a great cartoonist... I, I, I was brought up, it shows my age, but I was brought up in, in England as a great admirer of a cartoonist called Vicky. Oh, yeah. Who, 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 who had very many incarnations. But the funny thing was, he was, I think he was a Hungarian immigrant. I, anyway, he, he certainly didn't originally come from England. But the point is that he used to work for the, the, the right, for many years, he, wrote, he worked for the right-wing newspapers owned by Lord Beaverbrook. But his cartoons were so, <laughs> so sharp... 
and so extraordinary. And his caricatures of the leading political figures of the day were so spot on because, of course, the whole point of those caricatures is you find a feature in someone's face. It doesn't matter about the rest of it, and it tells you a lot about that person. So tell me, this and morning... Then, but I'm just going to say, just to finish the story, but he was completely out of favour with the general political line of the newspapers, but mm. they didn't get rid of him because he was, he was so great. This morning, the spotlight is obviously on cartoonists of the world, but what about when it comes to kind of responsibility for them to handle this? You know, there must be some very interesting thoughts going through these guys' heads as they put pen to paper. Well, I mean, there is... I mean, in, in the case of Charlie Hebdo, when, you, when you've killed the editor and you've injured a large number of staff and you've killed other people, I'm very sure they're going to bring out another edition of the paper... But, I mean, logistically, this is going to be a very hard task. I, I also assume that other members of the journalistic community who have nothing to do with that magazine will be giving them a lot of help. I mean, this is the moment at which that word solidarity comes into play. It is the responsibility of people to, to let these thugs and terrorists know that they ain't winning nothing. See, this, the job today is even more difficult because they don't have to just show empathy and sympathy for the guys in France. They have to say, we're, we're still here. So, I mean, look, at, look, if you're listening now near your computer, just put up the Independent this morning from the UK. Independent, I guess it's .co, whatever. .co.uk. Look yeah. at what's on the front of theirs. Now, that's a very, very to-the-point piece. I don't know if you've seen I it yet. I haven't seen it, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a look. All and right, then. There's a finger somewhere, is there? There is a... Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, just, just check it out. Now, this, here's a guy who knew he had to go an extra mile today, whoever yeah. it offends. Yeah? And, and, th and this them. one isn't anti-Muslim at all. It's just anti-tyranny, I suppose. Well, and thuggery, yes. Yeah. yeah. We will come back after the news. We've got a whole list of goodies to get into. We've got some domestic stuff. We've got we some domestic... I just about. said it sort of pales in... In comparison, it it's, it's a bad day. But we've got to do it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Archie, who did send Steve a copy of the independent cartoon, pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you for that. That was the thing that made me say they need to go above and beyond this morning. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just look at it. But the thing is, it's, what's in there is considered to be offensive, something we would do to each other as a gesture. You can guess what it is, of course, yeah. but I want people to look at it. Yeah. So he has to, his responsibility is to go to that level this yeah. morning. Yeah. 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 All right, then, let's talk about something a little bit closer to the home that seems to be about as useful as a handle on a snowball. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> really? Could it possibly be the second round of consultation on constitutional reform? Now, um, can I just say that I, I'm as excited and challenged by this as everybody else is in Hong after Kong. All the, I'll just after, shut up and let yes, you do Well, act now. Um, but, I mean, uh, one of the things that we know about this consultation is the outcome. Yeah. So um, we, we might as well cut to the um, whatever is well, the cliche. Well, yeah, that's the point. Cut to the what. We've already had a report from the uh, chief executive's office mm -hmm. saying that the majority of people, this is their, their famous report to Beijing on what happened during the Umbrella I Movement. I would so love and it. Concludes, and it concludes that we already know that the majority of people are supportive of the decisions of the Basic Law and blah, 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 the Act NPCC now. Act Now, etc., nice etc. Et so um, we already know where majority support is is, according to C.Y. Leung, who is the most popular chief executive in the Leung household, bar none. 
just just about just though. about yeah, that his daughter does but no, no 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 let's not go there but uh, but anyway but i mean the extraordinary thing about this is is that the only compromise measure that they are prepared to talk about is a recipe for paralysis and the compromise measure is this thing that's come up which is that, oh, well, maybe if 50%, 50%, that's an enormous number of all voters. Remember, no government in practically any democracy gets 50% of the overall vote. So you're setting that up. But never mind. 50% of all voters leaves a blank ballot. Um, they would have to, yet again, um, hold the election. So their only suggestion for compromise is a method to abort the election. Boy, isn't that brilliant? A question that's come up over this, this is an interesting one, and vaguely sensible. If the pan-democrats block everything, which they're all planning to do... And will. You're left, you're left at square one. So basically, are they cutting off their noses to spite their faces, or are they doing the greater good by blocking this whole thing? Well, I, I, I Despite think... our faces, if you like. Yeah, well, I think the simple fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the so-called move towards universal suffrage leaves us exactly where we are anyway. That's the point. So though, why it? bother to pretend that you've got universal suffrage when you've got this sort of North Korean vetting system um, in front of the words universal suffrage? I mean, everybody in North Korea can vote, but um, you kind of know what the outcome's going to be. Well, everybody in Hong Kong presumably will be given the vote for the chief executive. Now, there were ways, if the government had any scintilla of serious intent to try and get this through LegCo. There were ways of doing this. For example, there's one thing, one of the few things the pan-democrats and the, the pro-government people agree on is the idea that a chief executive candidate can be a member of a political party. They've tried it in other countries and it seems to work. Even that's not in there. That's been, that's verboten, that's been ruled out of, of court. The other significant concession that could have been made and would, I think, have caused some of the people in the pro-democracy camp to think very carefully about their actions would be if they had widened the constituencies which select members of the 1,200 strong election committee or Politburo as we, we should um, call it more um, accurately these days. So if they'd have done that and made some of the people who are going to make this selection more democratically elected, more accountable to somebody other than Beijing I think some of the Democrats would have gone, well, maybe this is a bit of a step forward. We better, we better seriously consider whether we're going to veto. As matters stand, the framework for consultation is so narrow and the outcome is so blindingly obvious that there is no reason whatsoever for anybody who thinks they want to advance the cause of democracy to implement this cockamamie system. There's one thing I don't understand here, the way this is all being described and packaged, you know, second round of consultations. You know, it, it sort of makes you think, it's like a football match, it goes to a penalty, you know what's going to happen in the end. It's like, well, we weren't really sure, we couldn't quite get a grasp of public opinion on the first one, so we think we need to do a bit more. Well, they, they always do this. I mean, they always do this. You have one, <laughs> they have one phony round of co consultations, um, followed by, oh, that's right, Another phony round of consultation. I mean, the very word consultation is devalued by this exercise because you know perfectly well nobody who has, could, can read and write in Hong Kong will have the slightest doubt what will be the outcome of this round of consultation. Well, yeah. Um, so, you know, people are saying, why bother? And, I mean, I'm certainly not going to 
um, you know, be spending my twilight hours writing out by longhand or even on a typewriter, great big screeds of, you know, suggestions. Because remember, in this round, it's even more restrictive than the first round. At least in the first round, it was sort of open book, say, you know, what do you think should happen? And most people who, who actually sent in a thoughtful proposal said what they thought should happen, and they looked at it and said... No, 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 we don't like any of that. Actually, oh, there's a, we've got a piece of paper from Beijing. Oh, that, that's a good idea. Let's spontaneously decide to do that. But in this round, you don't even have that blank sheet. It already says you can only make suggestions within this parameter, within that parameter, within the other parameter. And all these parameters lead to the same result, which is that you can have more or less the same system that prevails today, i.e. the chief executive is effectively selected by 1,200 people, but under the new system, um, the rest of the population is supposed to vote for whoever they've selected. Well, <laughs> by any definition, this is not universal suffrage. It's a mockery. And, and any Democrat who goes and votes for that would be a, such an idiot. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. And also... I don't think the government particularly cares one way or another because they, they, the system that they're suggesting is effectively the system that we've got. So if you vote it down, you, 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 you've moved from square one to, oh, that's right, square one. So what happens now? Uh, another consultation exercise doing the air brackets thing. Oh, and another white paper sort of hits the desk saying, shut up, sit and stay. Yeah. And then there's more aggro in the streets. Yes. Do you think that's so? More, I think that's more or less exactly how it will pan out. But... In between all of this, look what's actually happening on the ground. You've got the launch of the... the in the week that the government launched its um, so-called second consultation, the week started with, or, or rather the previous week, ended with um, arrest of... or not arrest, but summonses of pro-democracy leaders. I mean, there, there is, in the background, there is this idea that maybe we can chop off the head of the democracy movement and arrest as many people as possible. There is increasing background noise, and that background noise, because it comes from Beijing and the usual sycophants here, will, will, will turn into action of reintroducing the National Education Programme, the programme that was famously thwarted two years ago. And? And... Number three, no, Article Twenty Three, <laughs> oh, and then, uh, well, then, then there's, there, then indeed there is the, the 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 prospect to bring back Article Twenty Three. So I think that what you have is not just this, but there will be a crackdown. There will be these moves to further aggravate people by bringing forward legislation which is quite clearly not supported by the majority of people in Hong Kong, and they seriously say what we want in Hong Kong is civil. Harmony. Well, you don't get civil harmony by simply ignoring the wishes of the majority of the people. Or even if it's not a majority, let's, let's be as objective as possible. Say there is actually a majority of Hong Kong people who believe that they're not good enough to select their own leaders, who believe that political parties are all poison, etc., etc. But there, was, there is still a very, very significant minority who don't believe that. I actually think it's a majority, but let's make the argument that it's a significant minority. And if you have a significant minority of people hmm. who contain some of the most articulate people and committed, socially committed people in Hong Kong, you really expect that, 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 that by piling on the agony 
you're going to restore social harmony. I mean, it doesn't even begin to make sense. I just want to refer to our news article from yesterday, or indeed this morning. I can't help thinking of the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Carrie Lam urged pan-Democrats not to boycott the consultation, or that's okay then, um, adding that any confrontation will damage the mutual trust between the people of Hong Kong and the central government. Mutual trust? Well, she wants to... to, If... uh, I know they don't do this, but she wants to actually look at some research evidence other than that produced by the government itself. And it shows you that not only is there a widening gap in trust of Hong Kong people with the government in the mainland, but trust in the Hong Kong government is going down exponentially. I mean, to levels that haven't been seen before. So, you know, it's all very well to blah, blah, blah about how how trust must be enhanced and how it already exists. Whilst going after 32 protagonists from Occupy Central on a, a Salem uh, I think, witch hunt I think kind et of cetera, gig. I think, etc., etc. I mean, it, it's not these... You have to connect the dots. These are not isolated incidents. The, the, the idea that maybe they can put in jail as many of the pro-democracy leaders as possible is one part of this. The idea that more draconian legislation should be introduced is another part of this. So, you know... If you want to get people back out on the streets, Mrs. Lamb, Mr. whatever the chief executive's called, um, I, I only know the number, 689, but apparently he's got a name as well. If you want to do that, you're absolutely heading in the right direction. And, just just piling on the agony, if Feel you free. want to produce a big report, as they did this week, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. their report to, to Beijing about the events, the, the two months, three months or so, of the protests. And what you produce is a sort of children's scrapbook of, of, of really? things that... Well, that's what it looks like. It's like a little scrapbook. I mean, if you had a class exercise and you said, now, all you 11-year-olds, I want you to tell us what you did. And they say, please, miss, can I just cut out pieces of the newspaper? And the teacher would say very sternly, no, little Johnny, it's not good enough just to cut out little articles from the newspaper. You need to explain what they mean. Well... In this particular example of the government, they've just cut out all these articles and adverts that they've seen in the newspaper. And they said, see, 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 that proves that the majority of people didn't support these protests. And act now.